And please turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. As you're turning, I would remind you that on Wednesday evenings we are meeting at 6 p.m. to study through our Confession of Faith, the Second London Baptist Confession of 1689. And we have just started this past week to study the chapter, chapter 5, on God's providence. God's providence. And uh, you will hear, uh, not because we are... Uh, scheming or planning to make things connect, but you will hear much of God's providence today. I would encourage you to join us on Wednesday evenings for those studies. Uh, but today we get a double, a double shot of uh, God's providence. Uh, let's begin, if you have found your way to Acts chapter 12, let's begin by asking God's blessing on his word. Father in heaven and great provider, provider, protector, defender of your people. We come now asking your blessing on us. As your word is read and preached, we pray that you would open our ears, open our minds, open our hearts, make us good listeners. Help us as we hear the truth of your word to let go of false doctrine, of error that we have picked up and, and held on to in our belief system. Lord, help us to believe your word, to trust your word, to trust in your providence, to trust in your governing and guiding hand as we walk through this world. Bless this preacher now, bless the message, bless the hearers, Work in us and through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we begin reading, I want to just catch you up to where we are. Give us a little bit of background. In our study, we have followed the early church all the way from Acts chapter 1, I guess all the way from 2017 in, in Luke. We've studied straight through all of Luke's writing. And we followed, especially in Acts, the early church through some very interesting times. We, we've seen the church in some good times, and we've seen the church in some hard times. The church has had times of acceptance and what we even might call popularity among the people. If you'll remember back in Acts chapter 4, when Peter and John were arrested, those who were in charge wanted to... Um, wanted to arrest them. They had healed a lame man and they wanted to do harm to them, but they feared the people. They feared the people. The church had this popularity uh, that, that caused the leaders to fear the people. So the text tells us they released them or they let them go on account of the people. The people had great respect and high esteem for the Christians especially for those apostles back in chapter four. But we've been saying for some time in our study, things are changing. Things have begin, begun to turn and the tables have been turning and now we arrive in chapter 12 and this section of Acts marks real change. This is a real indicator that things, that we've left the days of Acts 
4 when the people would prevent mistreatment of Christians. And now we read in chapter 12, we'll read verses 1 through 5 and see the new climate of the world. Now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church to do them harm. And he had James, the brother of John, executed with a sword. Verse 3, when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter as well. Now these were the days of unleavened bread. When he had arrested him, he put him in prison, turning him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him intending only after the Passover to bring him before the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made to God intensely by the church. So now in the years from those good times that we're calling them back in Acts chapter four, things have changed. Things have turned around completely here in Acts chapter 12. It says about that time, so we know that this was around the same time, around the same time frame of the work in Antioch with Barnabas and Saul. But remember, the apostles had remained in Jerusalem, in and around Jerusalem, working there, ministering there. And Herod is increasing Christian persecution. Verse one says, now about that time, Herod laid hands on some who belonged to the church to do them harm. Herod here is Herod Agrippa, Herod Agrippa. Now, Herod, if you're not aware, Herod is sort of a title. It's a family name. It's the name of the dynasty. Uh, and all of the Herods that we see in scripture are bad news, bad guys. Uh, Herod the Great. If you'll remember, he's the one who had the babies killed when Jesus was born. Uh, Herod Archelaus was king when Joseph and Mary took Jesus and had to flee into Egypt. Herod Antipas is the one who Jesus called that fox. And Herod Antipas was the one who killed John the Baptist. This Herod's son, would be Herod Agrippa II or Herod Agrippa II. He will show up in Acts 25, but this Herod here in Acts 12 is Herod Agrippa or Herod Agrippa I, and he, like the other Herods, is not a good guy. He sees an opportunity to persecute Christians and he seizes that opportunity. He takes it and then he escalates it. Look at verses two and three. He had James, the brother of John, executed with a sword. It is important as we look at this because later after we read that James is executed, Peter will say, go and tell James. Uh, well, there's more than one James. <laughs> so we need to keep that in mind. This particular James is James, the brother of John executed with a sword. Verse three, when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter as well. James here is not just one of the Christians and he's not even just one of the apostles. Remember, James is one of the big three. Remember Peter, James, and John. I mean, they're the ones who are, who are kind of the inner circle of Jesus. 
Peter, James, and John. This is that James, the brother of John. Peter, James, and John having been fishermen together. This is not only Peter's partner in ministry. It's his lifelong friend. James was killed. And this Herod Agrippa was quite a politician. I don't know if anybody took that to be a compliment. It was not intended so. And Herod Agrippa, a politician, we, we see similarities to our modern understanding of the term politician. Notice that he persecutes the church, then he kills James. Then when the polling numbers come in, the people are pleased. His numbers are up. So we want to maximize that. This shows us that the people were pleased. It shows us that the climate among the people had changed toward Christians. But it also shows us that Herod is willing and has the power to do unspeakable things like murder of apostles in order to bolster his approval ratings. If they liked it when I killed James, then let's get Peter in here. Let's arrest him. Let's kill him. We're going to do this right after the holidays. I mean, that's right after the Passover. It is important for us Christians, we who live in this modern world, to see that this is the way of the world. Back in Acts chapter 4, when the world's whim was in line with the church's good, then the politicians and the policies were favorable to the Christians. But just as sure as the wind shifts from one direction to another, the world's fancy turns, shifts to a new direction that is in opposition to the church. And then the politicians and the policies seem as though the whole world is against the church. And that shouldn't surprise us. Jesus said, they hated me, they'll hate you too. A friend of mine preached a message from this passage he titled, Our Unpopular Church. Highlighting the truth that the world hated Jesus and they hate his church. And we look around us and we don't have to look very far to see politicians and policies in our world today that are at war with Christ, at war with Christianity, with all morality, with everything that could be considered godly. And the church has to recognize that we live in hostile territory. This is not a playground, this world. This is a battleground. Those who hate Christ are around us everywhere and they hate Christ and they hate his church. So we shouldn't be surprised when we face opposition. It shouldn't be a shock when laws take away religious freedoms and the people are pleased. We shouldn't be surprised when we see laws that deny the sanctity of human life. We're not happy 
But we also should not be astonished when churches that teach the Bible faithfully become unpopular and have many empty seats. How often do we lament these very things to one another? But brothers and sisters, we should know that this is to be expected and we should be preparing for things to get even worse. Let's continue to look at this text and we're going to notice some very important things here. When we look at these verses, we'll find false teaching of faith healers completely broken apart. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that the false teaching of faith healers cannot stand to the scrutiny of scripture and to this very passage in Acts 12. To, to see this, we need to look, read a little further. So I want to begin again in verse 1 and read all the way through 19. Now about that time, Herod laid hands on some who belonged to the church to do them harm. He had James, the brother of John, executed with a sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter as well. These were the days of unleavened bread. When he had arrested him, he put him in prison, turning him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending only after the Passover to bring him before the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made to God intensely by the church. Verse 6. On that very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with chains and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly stood near Peter and a light shone in the cell and he struck Peter's side and woke him up saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, put on your belt and strap on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and continued to follow. And yet he, Peter, did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. Now, when they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened for them by itself. And they went out and went along one street and immediately the angel departed from him. Verse 11, when Peter came to himself, he said, now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel to rescue me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who is also called Mark where many were gathered and were praying. When he knocked at the door of the gate, a slave woman named Rhoda came to answer and she recognized Peter's voice because of her joy. She did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the front gate. Verse 15, and they said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they said, it is his angel. Or it is his ghost. But Peter continued knocking. And when they had opened the door. They saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them. With his hand to be silent. He described to them how the Lord led him out of the prison. And he said report these things to James. And the brothers. And then he left and went to another place. 
Verse 18, now, when day came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what could have become of Peter. When Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and ordered that they be led away to execution. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. James was killed. James, the beloved apostle, was dead. And some teachers, some false teachers, might say, this must have been James's fault. Maybe he didn't have enough faith. Maybe he wasn't living his best life now. Maybe there was some sin in James's life. If James had spoken the right words of faith, then he could have been released, released. He could have been saved. Surely there must have been some fault with James. The same false teacher might say, Peter must have had more faith than James. I mean, James was killed. Peter was released. Peter must have had more faith. Peter must have exercised his faith in a way that James did not. Or maybe, maybe it was the church who was praying at Mary's house mother of John Mark, maybe, maybe it was the church, those Christians who were praying for Peter. Maybe they didn't pray for James. Or maybe they didn't pray for James with the same fervor. Maybe, maybe they didn't use the same fire, the same faith. Maybe they didn't claim James' release in Jesus' name. And they did claim Peter's release in Jesus' name. Let's look at the text and let's see if this holds up. Let's look at the text and see if we find more faith, better faith, this claiming the release of Peter type faith found here. We have more about Peter's arrest than we have about James's death. But it, it is safe for us to assume things may have happened very quickly with James. There was the, the days of unleavened bread and the Passover that, that kind of put Peter's execution on pause. So things could have happened more quickly with James. But it is safe to assume that the church were what would have been praying for James. And remember, this was not just an apostle. This is James, one of the big three. James was arrested and he was killed. And that was politically expeditious. So Peter was arrested. And now Peter is in prison and it is clear tomorrow is the day Peter will be executed. And look at verse six and following on that night. When Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping. Peter was sleeping. Let me continue to read these couple of verses. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains. This would have been, the guards would have been 16 guards that would rotate shifts each watch. Two chained to Peter and two guarding the door. Maybe Herod Agrippa remembered how Peter and John had been released from prison before. And he was like, we're not going to have that happen again. 
16 soldiers chained two of them to this man. We're not going to let that happen. Watch him. And Peter, with all of this, just think for a moment what you would do if you knew tomorrow was the day of your execution. How are you going to sleep tonight? Peter is sleeping. Verse 7, behold, the angel of the Lord suddenly stood near Peter, shone light in the cell, and he struck Peter on the side and woke him up. I hate to be awakened like that, but I bet Peter didn't mind. I bet, I bet Peter was okay. But we see that Peter wasn't really awake. He still had, the angel still had to say, get up, quickly, hurry, move it. Get your belt, get your shoes on, get your coat. Let's go. Is this a man exercising some giant faith? Now, now it's important for us to say here that Peter was not faithless. Peter's faith is what enabled him to lay down or to somehow be there chained between two soldiers and sleep and sleep soundly. This man is really asleep. He didn't fully wake up until they got outside in verse 11 when Peter came to himself. That was after this is all over. This man is sleeping and he's sleeping soundly. And this is a great statement of Peter's faith. He knew I walked with the Savior. I saw him raise the dead. I was there for the crucifixion, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of Christ. James is dead. I have nothing to fear. I will see my Savior. This is faith. Peter is ready to die and to die well. But it's not the kind of faith that the false teaching word of faith folks would be looking for. He is not believing for his release. If Peter had been praying and believing for his release, when the angel showed up, he would have been dressed and ready to go. Say, where have you been? I have been waiting here. I'm, I'm anxious. Let's get out of this place. But that's not where Peter is. Peter's sleeping so that he'll be well rested for his execution tomorrow. This is of Peter who has faith, but his faith is not aimed at his release. The error is thinking that words of faith are powerful. The error is thinking that old saying, prayer works, is true. Or some of you might have heard, faith works. And you believe that to be true. These are not true statements. Prayer does not work, friends. God works. Not one single person said, amen, that is true. But you know what? It is. It is true. It is not your prayer that has power. It is your God that has power. Romans 8, 28. 
The King James says, and we know that all things work. But it's better said this way. And we know that God works all things. It is not prayer that has power. And that's the error of this word of faith thinking that prayer works. Prayer does not work. Faith does not work. Words of faith have absolutely no power. God is all powerful. And when we say that, we don't mean God is more powerful than all other things. What we mean is all power that is, is God's power. He is the source of all power. God works. God works his purpose, his will. And Peter is not believing for his release in that way. And Peter's not believing for his release, not claiming his release, not speaking it in Jesus name for his release in no way limits God's power. It in no way stays the hand of God or changes God's plan. God executes his plan regardless of the actions of any creature. God said, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purposes. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Peter's lack of claiming it, lack of saying it with a word of faith did not limit God. Now let's consider the praying church. They were gathered in the home of Mary, this Christian and there may have been other prayer gatherings in other places, but this is the one where Peter went to. He apparently knew that there would be a prayer meeting there. And he gets out of jail in verse 12. He, he realizes this. He comes to himself and realizes that this is not a dream. And in verse 12, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, mother of John, who was also called Mark. There were many gathered there praying Verse 13, he knocked at the door of the gate. A slave woman named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognizes Peter's voice, because of her joy, she did not open the gate. Now, I've heard a lot of people give Rhoda a hard time here because she didn't open the door. But we do see in the text that it was not because of unbelief. It was because of her joy. She just forgot. Of course, if you just broke out of prison and you're standing on the street, Maybe getting inside the house is an important thing. But Rhoda just forget. I mean, she's frazzled, but she's overjoyed. And she runs and tells the praying church. It's as though she walked in and interrupted the prayer meeting and said, Church, the prayer, the one you're praying now, it's been answered. And they said in verse 15, you are crazy. I mean, that's what comes in. You're crazy. The church, as far as expressing this great faith, the church is quicker to believe this woman has seen a ghost. Now, that's what we see in, in uh, 15. She kept insisting. So they said, well, it's his angel. Now, this is from a from a superstition where every person has a guardian angel. Don't believe this. This is not this is not biblical. But there was a superstition that every person had a guardian angel. And when that person died, 
the angel would take on the look or the persona of that person. What has happened, you see, Rhoda, is that Peter has already been executed. And now his angel that now looks like him is at the door. They are quicker to believe this superstition. There's a ghost at the door. Than they are to believe God in heaven has answered our prayer. Is this such great faith? Because faith works and prayer works. I would say no. Peter had to keep knocking. Just, just so they would come and open the door. These Christians were praying. Perhaps they were praying with fervency for Peter's release. But their faith in prayer was so strong that they believed there was a ghost at the door. They were not giant prayer warriors who were gaining ground for the kingdom. They were no doubt sincere Christians who were hurting over the recent death of James and now concerned, but perhaps left in despair over Peter's arrest. Clearly, they were not praying in some presumptive manner the way we hear prayers offered today. As though people can, through prayer, take the arm of God and twist it. God, I've said the right words. I've said it the right way. I've, I've had this faith, and now you must do. You are obligated. God is obliged to no one. But again, though there is some lack in the prayer and in the church, God is not put off. God is not disabled by a lack of belief. God is provident. And God's works of providence, his most holy, wise and powerful are to preserve and govern his creatures and all their actions. So we asked this question this morning. Why was James killed and Peter was released? And this question could be asked about this circumstance, but this question could be asked in our lives a million times over. Why did this happen? Or we might say it like this. Why did God allow this? But over here, he did another, a different thing. Christians, when we have these questions, we need to remember God's decree. We need to remember that God is sovereign and he exercises sovereign power over all things. And that extends to all of creation. Everything that is not God is part of God's decree. There's nothing that happens outside of God's control. And we need Christians to believe this. We need to hold on to the doctrine of God's decree and the doctrine of God's providence as a comfort for our souls. When James is killed, 
We may be tempted to despair and to think that things are out of control. What is it in your life that has come about like that? And you've thought things are out of control. The death of a loved one. The loss of a job. It's then that we need to be comforted by knowing God is on the throne. God is in control. Now we don't always look and and understand how things fit together. I remember, I remember when my mother was diagnosed with cancer and went through some experimental treatments at MD Anderson. And uh, by her testimony, there were times that she didn't care if she lived or died. It was it was very bad, very difficult to go through. And I asked her, foolishly looking back, I asked her, do you know why? Do you know why? And she said, I don't know. And I, I think, now, the Lord healed her through those treatments and through surgery. It's been years since that difficult time. But I think if I asked her today, do you know why? I think she'd have the same answer. No. There are some things that we go through in life that we look at and we can't, we can't know why. Why did God do this? Why did he not do that? It's in those times that we need to remember that it is not our job, it's not our task to know the secret will of God, the secret intent of his plan, his decree. We can't know those things and we should not look for those things because the secret things belong to the Lord. But the revealed things are for us and for our children. And we do know that God works all things together for the good of them that love him. We have these promises. We have this that we can hold by faith. It's important for us to remember in those times when we don't know why, not to despair, but to see that God is still in control. J.I. Packer said, God's hand may be hidden, but his rule is absolute. God's hand may be hidden, but his rule is absolute. Church, we must pray in the James situations. God brings those circumstances our way, and we must pray. And, and when we get the news that James has been killed, we must not lose faith. We trust the providential hand of God. And when the Peter situations come along, those things where God will bring deliverance. We must pray in those times and trust the providence of God. 
And as we read the Bible, as we read the scripture, like this passage today, isn't it good to be able to read just a few verses? And we very quickly see, oh, this is a James thing. James was killed. This is a Peter thing. He was released. But in life, we don't see that. We don't know the end. We don't know what's coming. So in all things in life, as life happens to us, we don't know what God will do. But we know that we have a sovereign God. And he is provident. He is provident in all the world. But our confession says especially to his people. This is a comfort. What a comfort. What What a cause for rejoicing. Can I just say this? What a cause for rejoicing that you are not in control. And I say that meaning it. And can I say this? What a cause for rejoicing that I am not in control. This is, this is a wonderful thing that we are not in control. That what comes to pass is not at the mercy of our actions or the quality or quantity of our actions. It, what comes to pass It's not because we had the right kind of faith. It's not because we said the right faith words. God is sovereign. God is provident. And what comes to pass does not depend on whether we do things well or do things poorly. God is in control. Now, if someone just heard me say it doesn't matter what you do, that's not what I said. We have a responsibility to live by faith and to live in obedience to God's word. But we believe and we obey because God is God and because we owe him our obedience. And then we trust in his providence because he is God. What a comfort. That God is God. And that he is prominent. Now we will revisit this passage again. At least next time. At least briefly. But today let us be instructed. By scripture. And let us trust. In the provident hand. Of our God. Heavenly Father we thank you. That you are God. That there is not one rogue molecule in this universe that is outside your decree. Outside your creative act. And outside of your providential hand. God forgive us when we have been tempted to and at times despair. As though we forgot that you were God. God, we pray for the times that you will work as you work in this passage in, with Peter. The times that you will, will bring a difficulty in our life to an end by your hand. That you will deliver us out of a circumstance or out of a situation. 
We, we pray for those times and we give you thanks for those times. But God, we also pray because you know what is best for us when you bring those things to us that you do not take away, that you do not deliver us out of, but you take us through. Lord, we pray that you would be with us, that you would increase our faith, that you would remind us in that day of your strength and your power. And in that day, that we might be witnesses, testimonies to your grace. Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ, our Savior. We thank you for the love that we have, for the special providence that we have as your people, as your church. We pray this in Christ's name.